Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off Podcast. Today, it's credit expert John Alzheimer on what you need to do in the wake of the Equifax data breach. The practical effect of a freeze is to make it difficult for someone to get access to your credit report. And that's going to include and sweep up the legitimate applicant, the consumer. So you're going to have to go through the process of thawing it, which means you're going to have to think ahead. So that means that if you're going to go to the mall this holiday season and you're going to apply for store credit to save 20%, don't wait till you're at the register to deal with it because that's not going to work. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Well, we've got a great show today because everyone, your hair is on fire. I know it's all about this Equifax data breach. I know that you don't know what to do. I've been writing about this. I've been talking about this. It's time to get a nationally recognized expert. And I know one. He's a pal of mine. His name is John Alzheimer. You know, this is a guy who has worked at these organizations. He has worked at Equifax. He's worked at FICO, Fair Isaac Company, the scoring company, Credit.com. In fact, John's the only recognized credit expert who actually comes from the credit industry. He's got almost uh, a zillion different, you know, cases. He's been called as a credit expert witness, 25 years experience in the industry. So... With that said, let's go and talk to John Alzheimer about what we need to do, next steps, how do we take care of our credit, our identity in the wake of the Equifax data breach. Here's my interview with John. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. John Alzheimer, credit expert extraordinaire. Welcome to Better Off. John, this is the first time you've been on the pod. I'm so excited. I am equally excited. Thank you so much for having me. When's the first time we met? Like years ago through CBS, right? I think it was at least a dozen years ago. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. So John, we start the program by asking a very simple question. What is the best financial decision that you have ever made? Best financial decision was actually when I became self-employed, and when I because when you're self-employed, you no longer have access to a 401k because those are those are employee sponsored or employer sponsored retirement programs. Was going out and figuring out that there actually is an alternative for self-employed people called a SEP, and essentially it's a it is a 401k for people that are self-employed. So I was able to continue to build my retirement nest egg even though I wasn't getting a paycheck from anybody. And it has grown quite beautifully, I'm sure. It's done very well. John, we wanted to have you on, even though you're not in studio, because you have rebuffed our request to fly up from Atlanta to come here in studio, but to obviously talk about Equifax. So first of all, where do things stand? I I understand that w- that there's, you know, in addition to the 143 million that were hacked, now we have another two and a half million. How did that come out? Yeah, it looks like the number has been refined. And, and Jill, this is that's not uncommon for the initial estimates as far as the breadth of a hack to be revised either up or down after normally a third party comes in, like a neutral third party comes in and does some more diagnostics as far as what was actually exposed. And so it's, I, I'm actually a little bit surprised that the revision wasn't considerably more than $2.5 million, although $2.5 million is not a small number. I was expecting something much higher. 
I was too. It's funny. I was like 143 million. You might as well just assume everybody. Yeah. And that's what I'm telling people. If you don't know, or if you're not in the mood to go to their website and put your information in there to find out for sure, just make the assumption that your information was exposed. All right. Here's a question that we got, and we got a tons of questions about this. So I'm just going to start reeling off questions to you because you are the credit expert. So number one is people want to understand, given everything that has happened, can we trust Equifax today if that answer is your information was not or may not have been compromised? Look, that's, 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 kind, of, that's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, can, you tr- can you trust any company? Can you trust yourself? Can you trust the, the way you keep your own information? There is no such thing as a hack-proof database. I think that that has been proven. Companies, both trusted and not trusted, large and small, government, private, you name it, IRS, DNC, Target, Equif. I mean, the list of companies that have been hacked is, is, is extremely long. And by the way, the number of companies that have announced hacks since Equifax announced theirs is in the dozens. And yeah. so it, it, it seems like we live in a world where hacking is just kind of the new normal. So I, I think you should operate under the assumption that your information is, is always exposed and that there really is no company that is willing to come out at this point and say, we will guarantee you 100% that your information is absolutely not exposed in any shape or form. I don't know that anyone can actually say that. Okay, here's a question for you. You go to EquifaxSecurity2017.com. You either find out you were or you were not hacked. Let's say you were, and then they say, okay, you get trusted ID. Now, you have said that that monitoring service is essentially like locking one of your doors but leaving the three other doors open. Can you explain that and why that trusted ID, it's fine, but it's not the answer? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the service. The service is perfectly fine. I just think that for what has happened and what for, for how much people are freaking out about it, I don't know that it's adequate. What Trusted ID does, and Trusted ID, by the way, used to be a, a standalone company that Equifax acquired. So Trusted ID is essentially by acquisition an Equifax product at this point. And what Trusted ID does as a service is it will monitor your three credit reports and will give you the ability to essentially freeze only the Equifax report. So monitoring reports, fine, because you want to monitor all of them, right? Because if, if you're not monitoring all of them, then what's the point of monitoring any of them? Um, however, if you're not able to freeze all three of them, that's where I tell people that's like locking one of the three doors in your house. It's not sufficient. So again, while the service is perfectly fine, I think for what we're going through right now, what I'm telling people is if you're going to take the steps to freeze your credit reports, then you really need to freeze all of them, not just one of them. And what's the difference between a fraud alert and that monitoring service? Yeah, okay, so a fraud alert is essentially a notation that is placed on your credit reports by you that reads there's a possibility that people are applying for credit in my name fraudulently. Please verify authenticity of the application with me, and then it gives your phone number. And that's something that you place on your own credit reports. Uh, it's a one-and-done type of deal, meaning that you only have to place it at one of the three credit bureaus, and, then the, and that bureau is obligated by law to notify the other two. Uh, and so essentially you have, you have blanketed your three credit reports with fraud alerts, and the Fair Credit Reporting Act uh, obligates any lender that pulls that report to, in fact, comply with your wish to verify that the application is authentic. That's different than monitoring. Monitoring essentially is a, is a passive tracking system that looks for changes in your credit report that could be indicative of fraud, things like changes in your address, new accounts, 
um, extremely large increases in balances, a new credit inquiry, things that could happen as a result of fraud, but also that could happen just through your normal, you know, you know, kind of garden variety or organic credit management. Hmm. God, this is like the worst. I have to say, this makes me nuts. I put a credit freeze on my file, right? Okay. I did it online. A lot of people had a hard time doing it online. Is that freed up a little bit in terms of the ability to work through these processes online with each of the agencies? Yes. At, oh. at this point, and I mean, think, think of trying to cram... 50 people on an elevator that holds 12, right? The people up front are going to get in. The people who are trying to get in are going to have to wait. That's essentially what happened. We have never had in my 26 years in this business anything that has caused the land rush to freeze their credit reports like what happened when Equifax made their announcement a few weeks ago. And so the systems that were set up by the reporting agencies to place these freezes was, you know, the, the, the bottleneck occurred because you had so many people trying to place the freezes at the same time. And, and, and that has loosened up, and you should have absolutely no problem freezing all three of your credit reports, which you have to do independently at each of the three reporting agencies. There is no one-stop shop. And by the way, you know, I always tell people when it gets dark at night, the rats and roaches come out to play. Be very aware and cautious of companies that are trying to sell you on the ability to place freezes at all three um, you're going to have to do that yourself independently with each of the three reporting agencies. Here's a question for you we got from Joe, who said that his identity was stolen a few years ago, and he placed a freeze at the three credit reporting companies. But he wants to know, is it possible his Equifax credit freeze PIN number was stolen in that breach? Yeah, so Equifax has disclosed what information was exposed and PIN numbers to security freezes was not on the list. Okay. Having said that, okay, hold on. Having said that, <laughs> if he or if any of you who have security freezes on any of your credit reports feel that you're just not comfortable with the same PIN that you were either initially assigned or that you initially chose, then change it. They, they, all three of the reporting agencies give you a facility to change your PIN and if, again, if it makes you sleep better at night, then rock and roll. Change change your pin and, and move on with your life. I was interested that when I went to the Federal Trade Commission myself, because I said that mine was compromised, that you can't file a complaint there because I don't have proof. In other words, the information's out, but it hasn't been necessarily fraudulently conveyed yet. So when do you have to go to the Federal Trade Commission and actually register there? You just identified the same exact problem that over 100 different law firms are going to have a hard time proving, because that's how many class action lawsuits have been filed against Equifax so far. Nobody is going to be able to say with any degree of confidence that they were the victim of identity theft or fraud because of the Equifax data breach. Hmm. And, and here's why they won't be able to do so. Like, like your previous question, that, that, that person's data had already been compromised, and so his data is out there. The fraudsters don't generally say, we're going to commit fraud against you, and we got the information from Equifax. They don't generally say stuff like that, and that's sarcastic of the way of saying they don't ever say stuff like that. So your information might still be exposed from the IRS hacks or the Gmail hacks or the DNC hacks or the Target. I mean, the, the list 
I could go on on and on and on all day long and, and give you the list of companies that have been hacked. There's no way you're going to be able to draw a line between the Equifax exposure and any fraud that you're the victim of because your information is so out there. Mm. Um, according to the FTC, 40 or 50 percent of fraud is committed by friends or family. It's called friendly fraud because they have unusual access to your personal information. So you're, you can't really attribute the fraud to anything specific, especially when it comes to these data breaches. It's an interesting. Uh, I got a question from somebody who said, has Equifax actually, have they made any announcements about notifying victims of compromise through the mail versus web, especially for older folks who may not be necessarily like online all the time. Is there going to be any notification in that respect? Or I mean, in other words, it feels like the onus has been put on us. No, no, no. They they have their their new CEO saying all the right thing. I mean, there's going to be some people that are just simply not. He could you know announce the cure for cancer, and someone's going to say it's not enough. So, but he's saying all the right things and doing all the right things at this point. And one of the things that he's doing is that he they did announce that they're going to follow up with people in the through the U.S. mail system, because you're right, not everybody, I mean, my parents' generation is not comfortable sticking all that personal information onto some t- computer screen, as if the U.S. mail is any safer. But, <laughs> right. But that they did announce that they're going to be notifying people through the U.S. mail system. So be, keep, keep an eye on your mailbox, and hopefully the letter will never come, which means you weren't compromised or, excuse me, exposed. Uh, but, but for a whole lot of us, that letter will eventually hit our mailbox. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with credit expert John Alzheimer in just a minute. I know it sounds crazy to imagine that you're going to get a letter in the U.S. Postal Service, but yes, you are. You know, maybe this is a good time for you to be thinking about your overall financial life. I mean, your security, your credit, your investments, everything. If that's the case, then Stay tuned here, ladies and gentlemen, because our sponsor is Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. And right now, Betterment has a new free investment review. And this is kind of cool because, you know, if you're sitting there and you're worrying about your credit scores and you're really diving deep into your financial life, why not take a look at those investments? The Betterment review can help you assess your current approach They're going to ask you a series of questions related to your finances, then provide you with an analysis of your investments, and it's going to cover four topic areas, investment accounts, tax savings, fees, and risk exposure. This is so cool because it's going to give you a clear picture of what you're doing well, how you might be improving your investment approach, and where Betterment might be able to help. All right? It's all good. Visit Betterment.com slash Better off to start your free five-minute investment review today, betterment.com slash better off. And now back to our interview with John Alzheimer. I think a lot of people are freaked out by the idea of going to EquifaxSecurity2017.com, then putting the last six digits of your social and then asking for detailed information. I think that a number of people have written in and asked us, you know, is it okay to disclose this information? Like, they're just scared. So what's the advice there? Yeah, look, I, I get it, right? I mean, right now, people aren't necessarily comfortable with going to their website and putting that type of personal information in there. And I, and I, and I get it. If, that, if you are that person, then 
presume that your information has been exposed, whether because it's not going to be verified. You're not going to know one way or the other until you get this letter. Uh, but if you're not comfortable going to the website and entering that information, then just presume that your, your information has been exposed and that you will go through the steps to secure your credit reports. Credit reports are, that's always ground zero for, for credit fraud. I mean, the credit reports are always a link in the chain, and that's the easiest link to protect. Um, you can't prevent someone from applying for credit in your name because that's just impossible. The fact that you have an identity is why you're a target, but you can kind of pinch the hose, if you will, in, in, the, in the chronology of the process when it comes to the credit reports because no lender is going to approve any sort of loan or credit card or underwrite anything without the ability to assess your risk, and that's how they do it. Okay, let me go back for a second. So EquifaxSecurity2017.com, you put your six digit, last six digits of your social, you put your last name, you find out whether or not you are hacked. You then get the trusted ID, you sign up for that. You get the free fraud alert, it's 90 days. Let's presume you don't need new credit. Should everyone freeze at all three? There, there's no doubt. Cause just because you don't need new credit doesn't mean that the fraudster is not going to apply for credit in your name. Mm-hmm. And, and what if you do need credit? Is this like a, people say to me like, well, you know, what if I need to get, a, you know, a student loan? It's FAFSA season, right? You know, what if I need to get my kids college stuff? How easy is it to freeze and unfreeze? It's, it's very easy. First off, you can freeze it. I actually did all mine and I timed it because I was so sick and tired of people saying how inconvenient it is and how hard it is to do. It took me four minutes for one, five for the other. And the only reason it took me five is because I kept on screwing up. I was fat-fingering the input. <laughs> um, it, but but it, it, was, it essentially took me less than a coffee break to freeze all three of my credit reports. So it's very, very easy to do. The thawing of the remember the practical effect of a freeze is to make it difficult for someone to get access to your credit report, and that's going to include and sweep up the legitimate applicants, the consumer. So you're going to have to go through the process of thawing it, which means you're going to have to think ahead. Which that's fine. I mean, we all we all should become more engaged with our credit reports anyway. I've been saying that for two decades. Now people are listening. Um, and so that means that if you're going to go to the mall this holiday season and you're going to apply for store credit to save 20%, don't wait till you're at the register to deal with it because that's not going to work. Plan ahead, thaw your reports. You can do it a day or two in advance of when you're going to do your shopping, and you can actually set it up to auto-refreeze after some period of time, whether that period of time is a week, a month, whatever. Or you can just say, you know what, I'm, I think I'm in the clear. I'm not going to refreeze it at all. Uh, some of them purport that you can actually thaw your credit reports in minutes. I, I'm not sure I'm willing to roll the dice like that. Uh, for people who are buying cars and homes, however, these are things that people do this with forethought, meaning that you don't, walk, you don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to buy a house today. Uh, so you're, you have this advanced kind of planning period where you can thaw your reports while you're going through the process of collecting documents or determining how much you can qualify for. So it, 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 should, be, it should become part of the process, but you're going to want to give yourself a few days in advance. What's up with this fourth company, Innovus? Yeah, there's a company. It's called Innovus Data Solutions is, is their full name. They're commonly referred to as the fourth credit bureau which is a little bit misleading because there are considerably more than four credit bureaus. Um, but Innovus is not necessarily on par with the big three 
Anovus also doesn't sell credit reports to lenders for the purpose of underwriting. They are more of a broker, meaning that they'll buy and resell the credit reports that belong to the big three, normally to the mortgage industry. Hmm. And so while you should be cognizant that Anovus exists, and by the way, you have the ability to freeze the report. You have the ability to put a fraud alert on it. You have, a, you have ability to get it for free per federal law. So you have the same rights vis-a-vis your Anovus report as you do the Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion reports. But just no one's ever heard of them, which is why generally no one focuses on them. I did the freeze there. What the hell, right? Yeah, what the hell? If you're, again, if right? you're going to freeze them, freeze them. Let's get a big picture for a second. You come from this industry, and I want you to explain to people how this really works. Because, I, I mean, there are a number of folks who say, I never gave Equifax permission to have my stuff. I never did business with Innovus. So explain in general, how this industry works and how consumers have been ensnared and kind of swallowed up by it. Yeah, I saw, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, of people asking that very same question about, and I've, got, I've actually got two answers to it. One is kind of a smart mouth answer to it, and, and that is, is, is because they can, mm. meaning that you don't have, you as in a consumer, a consumer doesn't have the right to click a button, fill out a document or anything that says, I refuse to allow any credit reporting agency to collect information about me from my lenders. You don't have that right. So that's the, that's, that's the first half of the answer to the question. Well, now, once they have a report on you, you certainly enjoy a, a ton of rights, but you don't have the right to say, no, 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 no credit report on me. Um, so that's number one. Number two is even though you don't remember giving them permission, you actually do. If, if for everyone who has either filled out a promissory note or clicked, I agree to the terms of a cardholder agreement, you, may, you know, all that stuff that no one actually reads, or, or those credit card offers you get in the mail that you fill out and send back in, all the, again, the stuff that no one actually reads, all of those contain disclosures w- regarding credit reporting, giving them the permission to pull a report about you, and also the ability to send information to the reporting agencies about your relationship with the bank. And so the reason why no one, you know, remembers that any sort of permission that's being given is because no one actually reads those promissory notes or cardholder agreements, but that's essentially why they're able to do it. And some of the information is public, meaning that it doesn't matter. You have zero control over the information like bankruptcies and tax liens and judgments. I mean, I can go pull that information about somebody. It's called a public record for a reason. And Equifax compiles a lot of the information in their system through public records. So, again, you don't have the right to say no. B, you actually do give them permission. C, a lot of that information is public anyways. The oversight of these companies is the Federal Trade Commission through the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Day-to-day don't seem to be overseeing much. They have to, like, take them to court. But then the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and you've spoken about this, and I've had you on the radio show to talk about this and interviewed about you about this. The CFPB has been much more focused on these companies. Can you talk a little bit about what has happened and what you think should happen going forward? Well, not much as far as the CFPB goes. The FTC and the CFPB seem to share regulatory authority over the bureaus. Um, The CFPB, as it pertains to credit file accuracy, and this issue with the Equifax hack has absolutely nothing to do with credit file accuracy. So 
their authority vis-a-vis the hack is, is a little bit in question because hacking doesn't have anything to do with data accuracy. The, the Equifax credit file database was not the database that was hacked. Someone asked me, John, if you were the CEO of Equifax, what would you do? And I said, I don't want to answer that question because I want to think about that because that's a really important question. And, and so I actually came up with a list of things I would do if I was the Equifax CEO. And one of them was I would actually kind of make the new normal at my company, kind of becoming the, the good guy tuna fish company, would make credit reports free for consumers whenever they want to have them, not necessarily when it's mandated under federal or state law. And then number two, make it a whole lot easier to freeze and thaw my reports. You know, we're in 2017. Make it an app-based fingerprint security type of deal like I use almost all of my other bank accounts. That would eliminate any sort of issues with respect to having to wait two or three days to apply for credit because you've got to thaw your reports and kind of bring the, the, the technological underpinnings of the freeze process you know, into, into 2017 and on par with other banking and financial services technology. What would you think if, in, you know how we had the change with 401ks where we said, hey, you know what, let's use behavioral finance here. Let's make sure that when people are thinking about their 401ks, instead of saying you have to opt in, mm-hmm. we assume they're opting in and, and we, we enroll them and if they don't want it, they opt out. Right. What if we did the same thing with a credit freeze? What if we assume that everybody's file is frozen automatically? That's how you start. And if you want credit, you have to unfreeze it. What so do you the, think of that? Yeah, so the de facto position of your credit report is always frozen. Yes. What would you think about that? I, I'm. You know what? I, I can't think of anything wrong with that. And, and what it would do, obviously, there would be a, some growing pains because you would have all these people who didn't place a freeze, that now have a frozen report, they're going to have to go through the process of figuring out how to thaw it. And so I think you're going to run into a lot of complaints from people. I never did this. Why did you do this? And, you know, kind of the, pr- the perspective is going to be, here you go again, you're taking off consumers, when in reality you were just actually trying to help them. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. Don't make the presumption that every single person who has a credit report is comfortable enough with the technology to go online and thaw the reports which is one of the reasons why they're mailing these mailing alerts rather than just depending on people having access to the Internet. There would be some structural things to deal with from a hypothesis. I think it makes pretty good sense is that now we're rather than making you protect your own credit report, we're going to protect all of them. You let us know when it's okay to release them. Before you leave, what was the worst financial decision you made? I actually ran up about $12,000 of debt on a new car that I opened in college in bar tabs. And it took me an entire summer working. I didn't borrow a dime of it from my parents to pay it off. It took me an entire summer of working just to come up with enough money to, to, to considerably reduce that balance. And since then, I can honestly tell you that I have never carried a balance since. What was the drink of choice that... It was, on, it was a beach bar. And so it was like one of those tiki bars <laughs> on the beach. And so all the drinks were like frozen this or frozen that. <laughs> Well, that's a painful lesson, but a good one to learn, especially for someone like you. Very expensive lesson. John Alzheimer, thank you so much for joining us. You are a font of information. You're the best. Yep, I appreciate it, and I'm happy to come on whenever you want to talk about this stuff. Fantastic. Come to New York, though. We want you in the studio, okay? I I would love to get up there. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Now it's time for the listener question of the week. You know we love to do this. Mark and I love to hear from you. We want to field your financial questions. It could also be questions about the economy, about a guest who's been on recently. 
It's very easy to get in touch with us. All you have to do is send an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. We will arrange to get you on the air live. We do it twice a week after our interview on the Thursday show and then a separate program on Tuesday. So twice as many chances to get on the air. Just send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Today, we've got Ryan, who is calling from Pennsylvania or New York or who knows where, because he's got a two-hour commute each way every single day. And so, therefore, you are catching up on your podcast, right, Ryan? That's correct. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I feel bad for you. How's your back? Uh, yeah, the, the back is uh, requiring me to transition to a standing desk here in the office to make up for all the time sitting on the train. <sighs> it's brutal. It's brutal. So what can I do for you today? What's going on in your financial life? So as you said, I'm uh, digging into a a lot of podcasts and have recently switched to a number of financial podcasts, including yours. And I hear you and many others uh, continue to recommend a a Roth IRA um, conversion for a lot of people that have income, you know, greater than the requirements. And I'm just, I just have some questions regarding the specifics of actually executing that to ensure I'm minimizing my tax burden. Okay, great. So, Ryan, tell me a little bit about yourself um, in terms of your age, how much money you make, and what other retirement vehicles you might currently be using. Okay, so I'm 35, Mm -hmm. uh, married with two small kids. Uh, Combined, our salary is about Mm $330,000. I currently have my work 401k which has about $350,000 in it. And then my wife has a SEP IRA of about $45,000. And then I have some taxable investment accounts uh, in addition to 529s and HSA, things like that. Oh, great. I personally do not have any other IRA products right now. Okay. Then you you probably have done a little bit of research about the backdoor Roth because one of the reasons I'm asking that for everyone else who is listening is that If you have pre-existing IRA funds, not Roth IRA, but pre-existing IRA funds in a traditional IRA, a SEP or a simple IRA, that can kind of mess up your whole backdoor, not mess up, but complicate your backdoor process. But you don't. So that's good. Um, And everybody just listening that the whole idea of a backdoor Roth is that a Roth IRA has an income limit. And Ryan and his wife blow through that limit. So there's this backdoor ability where you make a non-deductible contribution into a traditional IRA account, and then you convert it into a Roth. Again, if you're listening and you have a SEP or a simple or another IRA, call us, let us know, because there are some mechanics that you have to deal with. All right, next. What have you done so far? Have you, have you opened up a, an IRA account to, to start the process? No, not yet, because I was trying to figure out the timing of it. So everything seems to suggest to convert that traditional to a Roth IRA as soon as possible to limit the tax burdens. But my concern is, do you convert the full amount or do you leave some so that you can do this again in future years? How does that work or what's the best strategy going forward for that? The most important thing is that you do it all at once, which is much easier. And then you'll do it all over again the following year. Okay. All right. Now, where are you going to do this? How are you going to do it? Tell me more about what else is, you know, what you're thinking. Uh, I'm thinking I'm probably going to do it with Vanguard is what I was thinking. Okay. Um, Just based on the fact that that's currently where my wife's 
uh, SEP IRA is and my employer 401k is, and I'm comfortable with them and like the low fee structure. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Perfect. And um, is your wife going to also do this for herself in addition with to her SEP, or is she just going to keep funding the SEP? As of right now, I was just going to keep her funding the SEP um, because of the fact of, of as you suggested, the tax complications of converting that. Okay. Does she work for herself? Is that why she has a SEP? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, she's an independent contractor. Uh And is she fully funding that SEP every year? Uh, Fully funding it based on uh, her income, which uh, isn't, you know, isn't that significant, but yes. Okay, good. That's all perfect. I think you're on the, I think it's perfect. I think you got a great game plan. I love the backdoor Roth. It happens to be one of the easiest ways to get to the place where you want to be, which is you want to have money that's already been taxed. And the other question I have for you at your work, do you work for a big company or medium? Yes. You, You do. Is there any movement afoot in the company to create a Roth 401k? Because that would actually be even better for you. I have not heard anything about that yet. You're going to have to agitate for that. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. I don't want to get you in trouble. But you know, the, a lot of companies are doing it. Doesn't it? Doesn't really cost the company more money, by the way. The reason why it's so great is that then instead of fifty five hundred dollars, you could put your full four hundred one k eighteen thousand dollars into a Roth four hundred one k. So if Someone from HR, someone in your company, if you're friends with it, you might want to say, hey, any plans here to do a Roth 401k? Because that would actually take you off the hook, and then you wouldn't have to do any of this nonsense. Okay, great. Ryan, take care. Do your back exercises. Get that stand-up desk. Thank you. Thanks so much to John Alzheimer. Now, everyone, get busy. Take care of your credit. Protect your identity so we don't have to have John come back on the show anytime soon. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week. <laughs>